Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the hump day edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you wherever you are today. Mississippi State won an intercollegiate baseball game on Tuesday. We'll break that down. Also, some uh, big news coming out of the women's basketball program. We will break that down, kind of get you up to speed on what I have learned here in the past 48 hours about the women's basketball program and the decision not to participate in the women's NIT. We will get to all of that a little bit later in the show. Also, a cool top 10 list. want to appreciate everybody who reaches out and shares their ideas and uh, – I've shared with you guys, too, we um, did an inventory over the weekend of kind of some of the top ten lists we've done, and we've left off some pretty big artists. You know, we hadn't done Jimi Hendrix. We hadn't done the Rolling Stones. I don't think we've done the Beatles. And so we're going to work through those here in the next few weeks. But um, today we're going to stick with the 80s. It's right in my wheelhouse. We'll do a, uh, we'll do a rock band from the 80s that uh, you guys are very familiar with. But uh, I'm excited about the show. I'm excited about the weekend. I'll be headed down to Baton Rouge on Friday. So I'll record on Thursday night, kind of like we're doing now, and then run that Friday morning. And, uh, you know, we'll see how things go on Sunday. But, um, you know, Mississippi State doing well in baseball. And it's one of those things, too, when you begin to look around the league, you understand how important those midweek wins are. And there are a lot of people out there that say, well, you know, midweek doesn't mean a whole lot. Well, it does when you're trying to uh, to earn a top eight national seed. Anybody that tells you it doesn't matter is probably a team that's losing those midweek games. And so it's important to, uh, to remember when you go out there and play that you're not just playing for today. You're playing for your resume as it's reviewed by the NCAA uh, selection committee. It's a big part of things. And you know, a couple of years ago, State went 15-0 and in midweek games. And so, it, you know, we're going to go out there and play those games and hope to win them. If they're going to play them, you might as well win, right? I mean, as, as Herm Edwards always used to say, you don't just play it to play it. You play to win the game. And so don't listen to any of that nonsense. Don't buy into any of that, oh, well, the midweek doesn't mean anything. No, it means something. It means it means an awful lot, you know, when you get to the end of the stretch here and and you're reviewing your resume, and all of a sudden you've dropped a, you know, a midweek game to an RPI team in the 80s or 90s or whatever. And in some situations it could be in the hundreds. We've done that before too. I remember we lost to Eastern Kentucky and Oral Roberts back-to-back nights, and uh, a lot of people said, man, you know, this team's going in the wrong direction. We ended up winning the SEC that year and being a number six national seed. Speaking of that stuff, on Tuesday I wrote an article. I want to thank Coach Ron Polk and uh, John Cohen for sharing some time with me about you know there are no perfect baseball teams you know we're all so acutely aware of the issues that we have with our team you know it's like every every team out there you know we don't pay attention to them as close and so you're not as familiar with their batting order or their relievers and things like that and so I spoke with with coach Polk about the 85 team you know a lot of people consider that our best team I don't 
I don't think that was our best team. That may have been our most star-studded team, but there were some holes in that lineup, especially in the bottom third of the order. There were some guys like Frank Davis and John Scott that were tremendous defensive players that weren't great offensive players. That, that's not to say they didn't play an important role in the team, but once you got through that top five or six in the order, you kind of held your breath and just kind of hoped they could spark a rally. The 89 team, our best team probably of the Ron Polk era not to make it to Omaha, and you could make the case probably our best team ever. And we didn't make it to Omaha. It's just crazy how that all works. But, you know, that team didn't have a lot of holes in it. That team actually had better pitching. That team had uh, no sure outs in their uh, nine-man lineup. And then we'd get upset in the regional by North Carolina. 2013, we played for it all. Coach John Cohen and that group. And that was a team that went 16 and 14 in the SEC. But you get hot late. You get hot at the right time. You kind of find a sense of yourself, and people forget what a great job Butch Thompson did 2012 and 2013, kind of managing that SEC tournament out in Hoover. We won it in 12, and then in 13, we win the first three games and then lose to Vanderbilt, SEC champion Vanderbilt, in a do-or-die uh, you know, kind of play-in game on Saturday. So, you know, we did a good job for sure. We make it to Omaha, and then we don't win it all, but we do play for the national championship for the first time in school history. 2016, easily the best team since the Ron Polk era to not make it to Omaha. It still blows my mind that team didn't, and people say, you know, Bobby Dahlback killed us, and he did. You know, guys are the Red Sox now. He had a great career, but we should have won that series. We lose one nothing, and then lose, uh, what, 6-5, I guess it was. Still had a chance to win that game and force a game three, and they'd kind of run out of pitching. You know, Dolback pitched game one, Bannister pitched game two. And if we get to game three, you know, we still had Zach to go, and I believe Zach would have won that ball game for us, and we'd have been in Omaha. But uh, it wasn't meant to be. You give those guys a lot of credit. And what, what stinks so much about that year is Arizona goes on to play for a national championship against Coastal Carolina. And the fact that Coastal – Carolina has a national championship and we don't just absolutely sticks in my craw so as Ron Polk told me it's not always the best eight teams to get to Omaha it's the eight teams that win the regionals and super regionals to get to Omaha doesn't necessarily mean it's the best eight teams there have been times that we've had the best team in the country and then you know things don't go well for us in the tournament and uh, we miss out on a chance to go to Omaha so if you haven't read that it is a free article over on Gene's page. It's on all my socials. And the name of that article is There Are No Perfect Baseball Teams. It's as simple as that. And uh, I think, think the article turned out really well. And I give, again, Coach Polk, Coach Cohen uh, a lot of credit for kind of sharing some knowledge with me. All right, Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of the show. You need to go by and check those guys out. Go try the full of bologna. Go try the new grilled chicken club. Uh, go by and try that I tuna burger. There are a lot of new options available. They've been running these things as specials. You guys have been eating them up, so they have had such great success. They're going to put them on the regular menu. Two locations now to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark, Vegas, and then on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's talk some baseball here. Mississippi State takes care of uh, Samford 10-2. And, uh, yeah, listen – you know, we struggled a little bit, you know, early on in the ball game. That's one of the things that, you know, you kind of look at and you think, you know, I wish we could kind of jump on some people that first time through the order 
and be able to put some runs up. And uh, listen, it seems like we have really struggled out of the gate, but it's one of those things, too, where I believe this team simply believes, and some of it is a matter of performance rather than principle, that no matter what the situation is, we can find a way to win that ball game. Just like we did with Eastern Michigan uh, on Saturday, we did it with Kent State on that Sunday game. It's like we know we just got to stay in the ball game because our pitching is good enough to kind of hold the game in place until the bats get going. There are going to be some games in the SEC that we win late in similar fashion. And what I mean by that is, is you know, we're going to face some really good pitching. We've got some great pitching, perhaps some of the best pitching in the country. And so we're not going to have a lot of games to get away from us. You know, we don't have to sit there and ride with pitchers who don't have their best stuff. If somebody's not having a good day, then, we, you know, it's as simple as, you know what, we'll just go pull that guy and put somebody else in there, and we'll keep putting guys in that we find somebody that can throw strikes. And the good thing is, is we've got a lot of guys that can get a lot of swing and misses. But that was the case kind of with Sanford today is we, we struggled a little bit out of the gate, and then once we got going, we pretty much put the game away. So let's take a look at this ball game. And, of course, I was there, and uh, it just seemed like it was just a matter of time before we kind of put that thing away. But, uh, you know, we don't do much those first couple of innings. And, and, again, that's one of those things you look at and you say at some point that may come back to haunt us. It was a weird start to the ball game. I give Samford a lot of credit. They came out ready to kind of attack us. You could tell they weren't intimidated. They're like, you know what, we're playing the number three team in the country. Uh, we're not going to win this game playing conventional baseball. And so, sure enough, first pitch swinging, they hit a ball right to third. Cam makes an incredible play on it and then throws the ball away. They go right back to the next pitch, and they push a bunt towards the second baseman, and they get the ball uh, by Houston Harding. I didn't think Houston was especially sharp, and I actually asked Chris Lamontis about that in postgame, and, and Chris kind of agreed. He was kind of center cut at times on the fastball, and that's the thing with him. You know, He's such a competitor that even when he doesn't have his best stuff, he's able to get guys out. But uh, people barreled him up today like we haven't seen this year. There are going to be nights like that. Nobody is lights out every single time. They take the mound. But they had Houston kind of on the ropes early on. You get a couple of uh, you get a couple of runners on base. You do an error and a bunt single. And then Harding finds a way to get out of it. He, he picks the guy off. It was leading off a second. And listen, I give... A lot of credit to Scotty DeBrule. A lot of people have told me in fall baseball that he is an absolute irritant as a base runner and as a defender, that he keeps people close to the bag. He's always darting in and out and getting back to position, trying to set things up, and he was very instrumental in this play. So you get him picked off, and then you get a uh, strikeout swinging. The runner was going on the play, and there's a, there is a, uh, a, a batter interference call there. So we're out of the inning on a pickoff a strikeout, and a batter interference. I give the home plate umpire a lot of credit. He was right on it. We get a leadoff walk, and you think, okay, we got it. Well, then they pick him off. You know, it's like they pick us off, we pick them off. It's crazy. We get a K look into Rowdy, and then uh, Tanner Allen grounds out. Second inning, they come out there, and they barrel up a baseball, get a double to left center, and then we get a ground out. And then, sure enough, we pick somebody else off. And we get a strikeout to get out of it. Just a really, really weird start to the game. We go one, two, three there in the second. Uh, get a really good inning, I guess, there in the third. There was a ball, too. And I think I think they were kind of sitting soft, to be honest with you. I think Sanford had kind of realized 
through their scouting report that Houston Harding was the guy that would kind of pitch backwards a little bit. So rather than start you with a fastball, he's going to start you with a changeup, and you're looking for that fastball. And uh, they were sitting back on him, and then you know David rips a double down the left field line on the very first pitch, and then we get a couple flyouts. Both of those flyouts were absolutely smoked. We got good jumps on the ball. We did a good job playing defense there. But, you know, what happens? That ball's a little bit closer to the line, a little bit closer to the gap. We might be down one nothing there. But, again, they get runners on, and we find a way to get out of it. Finally, in the bottom of third, we do a good job with a great at bat to open up with Josh Hatcher. And, listen, I shared this on Gene's page. You know, a lot of people are kind of down on Josh. I am not. And let me tell you why. He had a really, really tough day in game two against Kent State against Luke Albright. And listen, that, that's I think Luke Albright's going to be a big league pitcher someday. That guy's outstanding for Kent State. So, Zach, pardon me, Josh strikes out three times in that game. In the last seven games, Josh Hatcher has struck out once, one time. He has absolutely murdered the baseball at times and had a, hadn't had a whole lot to show for it. But today – you know, he works account and uh, gets a leadoff walk and then steals second. Last I looked, I believe Josh is five for five in stolen base attempts. Five for five. That's a first baseman, guys. Guys that size aren't supposed to move as well as he does. Cumba strikes out swinging, and then Forsyth flies out. And then we get another walk from Scotty, and that's, a, that's two. I mean, that's a good leadoff guy there. He works account full and then uh, gets the walk. And then Rowdy absolutely cranks one that goes off the base of the wall there in left field, chases home uh, Josh Hatcher, and then Tanner hits the ball right there on the screws, nearly got it over the head of the right fielder. Could have been a much bigger inning, but we do get the one run in. Sanford comes back in the fourth, and uh, Harding still in the ball game. Very first pitch again, they smoke one in the left center. Then we get a pop-up outside of first. We go ahead and pull Houston Harding. And, again, he didn't have his best stuff, and I think a lot of it was because he wasn't located especially well. But I also think, think too, the book is kind of out on him a little bit. That people realize he's very, very sneaky with that change-up, so you got to be looking for that early in counts because he likes to use it to get ahead because he can throw it for a strike. He can get a swing and miss, or if you just sit there and take it, uh, it's going to be in the strike zone. So that's something to kind of monitor. And you know Scott Foxhall knows more about college baseball than any of us. He will get that figured out. But, again, a lot of times, you know, guys just don't have it. You know, it's like you, there's some nights you go out there and you feel good about yourself in warm-ups and you get out there and just maybe, just maybe, uh, you're not working the corners the way you should and you, and you leave some balls up and you get hit. The good thing is is most of these balls were hit directly at Mississippi State players and we can defend it really well. So we bring in Brandon Smith, and I know a lot of people are thinking, oh, why are we doing that now? Listen, Brandon's fine. He can get a couple of innings in and be able to go on the weekends. I, I like him kind of working in that same package with uh, Christian McLeod. Brandon comes in and really kind of shuts him down. We get a ground out and a ground out, and we're back in the dugout. Now we're looking to build on that lead, and we absolutely did. Uh, they take their starter out, and anytime they've got those left-handed junk ball pitchers, I'm always happy to see those guys leave. Because, you know, they don't always throw especially hard and uh, they're able to work both sides of the plate and they've only got a couple pitches to work with, but they kind of keep you off balance. And lo and behold, Cam James shows some patience at the plate. He walks, and guess what? Still second. I'm going to give you guys some stolen base numbers before we kind of move along here because I don't know if we f- people fully appreciate how well we're running the bases right now. 
it kind of gets lost sometimes. We get so caught up in pitching and hitting and things like that. We make an error on defense. But I'm going to talk to you about stolen bases just for a second because we have been a little more aggressive than, than we have been in recent years. Mississippi State currently 25 of 30 in the stolen base department. 25 of 30. Our opponents, 10 of 20. And a lot of that's got to do with Logan Tanner having an absolute cannon back there for arm. But we're 25 of 30. And, you know, a couple of those, you know, are just caught stealings. You know, it's not always as simple as uh, us running down there and kind of looking at the numbers here. Uh, Tanner Allen, five for five. Cameron James leads the team seven for seven. Josh Hatcher, four for four. And then Rowdy there, two for three. But, yeah, we're doing a good job running the bases. We really are. We've had a couple times where a hit and run didn't work out for us and we leave a runner kind of hanging out to dry there. But uh, we're running the bases, and that's an element of the offense we haven't always fully utilized. So I like how we're being aggressive and kind of moving runners and kind of putting some stress on the defense. So Cam's still second, and then Luke hits a line shot that nearly leaves the stadium. Now, in case you guys haven't figured this out, because there are a lot of opposing pitchers that have not, you're not going to sneak the fastball by Luke Hancock on the inner half. It's just not going to happen. This is a guy whose hands are so incredibly quick, and he can open up that, that hip and then fire that back hip and really turn on the baseball Sometimes he turns so quickly, he, I mean, he knocks some balls, you know, well over to the right field berm uh, many times. But uh, this is a guy, that, listen, he is so quick twitch. He does such a good job going from low to launch that if you think that you're going to go out there and say, well, let me just try to sneak the fastball by him because it's a breaking ball count, it's just not going to happen. His pitch recognition is just really unlike anything else we have on the team. And he, and he listen, he's great against right-handers too. He's great against left-handers. And so there are a lot of left-handers that really struggle against left-handed pitching. Luke is just not one of them. This is a guy that's kind of learned to use the, the other side of the field rather than try to pull everything. So as quick as he is on that inner half, that point of contact is obviously a strength for him, but he's doing a good job kind of hitting that ball, kind of dragging his hands on that outside pitch and dropping that ball on the left field. I think he's also done a much better job at letting people walk him. He's willing to take the walk to kind of move the lineup along. So he hits the home run there. It's a 3 nothing ball game. And then Josh Hatcher, two at-bats later, finally, finally launches one out. Josh has had a lot of bad luck even this past Sunday. He hits an absolute screamer right at the first baseman. And that's, that's kind of been the case a lot. That home run today, nearly 110 miles an hour off the bat. An absolutely ridiculously well-hit baseball. Goes out the deepest part of the ballpark, right there at center field. Josh is one of those guys, too. I I know sometimes he's probably trying to pull the ball, but it seems like he has more power to center field. That's the biggest part of the yard. I mean, we'd like to be able to just pull one down the line. I just don't think that's in Josh's game because he has that longer swing. You know, his bat doesn't always stay within the hitting zone. But when he really works up the middle, Josh is a guy that can really hurt people. Uh, I, I like the fact he's a little bit farther down in the order, so he's getting some better pitches to hit. So we end the inning with a 4 nothing lead. We go right back out there. Brandon gets a 1-2-3 inning. Come back in the fifth. They change it up a little bit. And DeBrule walks again, third of the game. But it doesn't amount to much. We, uh, you know, we get three outs to finish that thing up. We bring in Stinnett. Oh, my gosh, this kid here. I, I'm so excited about him. He's got the hammer curve. He's throwing the fastball right around 93, 94. He can work both sides of the plate. 
when he does throw his off-speed stuff, it looks exactly the same as the fastball coming out of his hand, and he doesn't slow his arm down. He really trusts the grip. And that's one thing I noticed really on all the Sanford pitchers is all those guys that throw a changeup are just kind of aiming it and slowing their arm action down, and it really tips the pitch. And so if you're looking fastball and all of a sudden you see them alter the delivery, you can make the adjustment. And I thought we did some of that later in the ballgame. But with Parker Stinnett, you just don't see that. I mean, everything is from the same arm slot with the same arm velo, and it just comes out of his hand different because he really trusts the grip. So we do get a, they do get a walk. We get a K and then a the walk, and then you know we get a wild pitch there, and then he strikes out the side again. Again. This is the guy here. I mean – I'm just kind of eager to see what happens with him long term. I think this is a guy that probably would not have been with us if there had been a, a full draft this past year. And I shudder to think what he's going to be after a year or two in the weight program. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's only going to get bigger and stronger. I mean, you look at him now and you think the kid's just going to blow off the mound. I mean, he's really kind of a thin kid with that long, flowing black hair. But this kid's hammer curve, man, is just incredible. He can throw it out of the zone for a swing and miss. He can throw it in the zone for a called strike. I really like this kid's makeup. So we go right back out there, and then Luke hits a second home run. We just talked about point of contact. He gets a 2-2 fastball out and away from the plate, and rather than trying to pull that ball and ground out to the shortstop or the second baseman, he tanks that thing over the left center field wall. Now it's a 5 ball game. I think everybody could finally relax. And then uh, – You know, Logan Tanner follows with a great job of hitting, and this gets lost in the box score. He's down in the count one and two, and he goes down to get that breaking ball. He doesn't chase one in the dirt, but it's something, you know, maybe marginally out of the zone. He just kind of throws the bat at it and then gets that single in the center field. Instead of trying to do too much and getting a strikeout or trying to do too much and ground out to the shortstop, he goes out there and just kind of lets his hand lead the bat and just kind of throws a bat at the ball. Next thing you know, he's on first base. Goes second on the wild pitch. Josh, again, hits an absolute screamer out there to left. But it's an out. Then we bring in Braylon Skinner. Now, we have had some really fast players over the years. I don't know if Braylon Skinner is not the fastest we've had in several years. This guy can absolutely scoot. And you see him going from first to third, and you begin to ask yourself, you know, what's this kid 60 times? I mean, really, how fast is this guy? So, you you got to see a little bit of it there. If it's not a routine ground ball, chances are it's going to be an infield hit because this guy can really pick him up and put him down. So, he hits that high chopper to short, and he tears down the line. They initially called him out. I thought at the naked eye he looked safe by a step or so. When they showed the replay, he kind of took an unnecessary step. It actually slowed him down a little bit, but the review showed that he was safe. I'll be honest with you, I didn't agree with the review, but I think you had a chance to see Braylon Skinner you know, really kind of pick him up and put him down there. That's your future center fielder, if you ask me. I think once he's healthy and that hamoid bone is ready to go and he's not having to kind of, uh, kind of work through that and he can swing the bat a little bit more, I think you're going to see him work his way into the lineup. Had he not broken his hand, I think he probably would have been your opening day center fielder and you put Rowdy and left. That's just my honest opinion. But, you know, Skinner can play all those spots, as Chris Lamont has told us. So we, we get the infield hit there. And then Forsythe, again, he always seems to be in the middle of things. I really like this kid's makeup, not just defensively, but he's so competitive at the plate. 
I mean, he really is. Every so often he'll get beat by, you know, a really nice breaking ball, but uh, more times than not, it's because they've kind of got him guessing a little bit. He's only going to get better. And then Cam James uh, singles to the shortstop there, and, uh, you know, Scotty DeBrule scores. It's crazy to be going to watch this stuff happen here. You know, DeBrule gets a single, Skinner scores, Tanner Allen gets a fielder's choice, beats out the double play, Forsyth scores, Cam James singles, DeBrule scores. And then and there's a balk, and then we walk. And, and then Luke, who's already hit a couple of tanks, they walk him on a full count. Again, another great at bat there. And so, uh, you know, it's it's a 10 nothing ball game after they walk in, you know, um, Garner walks, and it's 10 to nothing. And at that point, it was just a matter of what the final score was going to be. A lot of defensive changes after that. Not much happens. You know, we, you know, we, we 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 bring in uh, Xavier Lovett, and I thought he did a pretty good job. And then you know, Chris said post game, we're trying to kind of work some uh, lefty on lefty type stuff to kind of get these guys ready to match up on weekends. Carmouche comes in, does a pretty good job there, and then uh, they bring in a pinch hitter, and Ledbetter actually gets a hit, and uh, they drive in a run there to make it ten to one. So the shutout was broken up there. We go one, two, three in the seventh, and uh, they tack on a run in the eighth, kind of a trash run there. But uh, we did it to ourselves. They get a single, and then next thing you know, there's a wild pitch here, a wild pitch there, and then they're scoring. You know, we we, we kind of – that's a self-inflicted wound. we got to fix that. You can get away with that in a 10-1 ball game. You can't get away with it in a 2-1 ball game. Yeah, but you got to have some confidence to be able to throw your breaking ball in the dirt. You have to be able to do that. We've got a great catcher back there, and he's only going to get better as a receiver. We already know what he can do, uh, you know, against runners. But, uh, you know, the, his best days are ahead of him. Uh, Luke Hancock kind of the same way. You know, Luke caught tonight. And, uh, you know, Luke doesn't have the – I don't know that he's quite as adept at throwing out runners, but uh, he does a good enough job that uh, I think he's going to make some money as a catcher someday, not just because he can swing the bat. I think he is a good enough receiver if he's got a pro baseball future ahead of him. And so that's kind of the game. You get into the ninth there, and it, it kind of goes pretty quick, right? You know, they we bring in Stone Simmons, who I think is kind of an unheralded player on this team. I don't know that he gets enough credit. But when that guy comes in the game, it just seems like the game slows down for us. And, and that's just a veteran guy, grad transfer guy coming in. Uh, you know, gets a couple of K's there in the ninth, the game's over. And so we win 10-2, to and I think we're all pretty happy about that. You know, it's one of those things early in the ball game. you're thinking, man, we got to get something going. But we score in the third, the fourth, the sixth, and by that point the game is over. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, I think Sanford realized it too, and it's a hey, let's get some work for some other guys. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. 
Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink. And maybe even adult beverage if you prefer. And you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding. Whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at Tacovas.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tacovas delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Look around the league a little bit. It was a very eventful night in the Southeastern Conference. We're really in a top 25. Um, you know, it's, you begin to kind of look at these things. We talked about how important these midweek games are. And, and again, it's people are always trying to uh, to downplay their mistakes. You know, when, listen, anytime we lose a ball game, we need to learn something from it. That's just my whole attitude about that. I think it's crazy to think that, oh, you know, well, these games don't matter. Well, then why play them? Why put them on a schedule? It's, it's again, people say that when they're, when they're losing. So, and speaking of losing, there was a lot of that in the SEC on, uh, on Tuesday night. Murray State goes into Lexington and beats Kentucky 13-8. to Bit of a surprise there. Auburn goes to Lipscomb and wins 9-7. to Lipscomb, of course, was swept over the weekend. Oklahoma goes to Fayetteville and beats Arkansas, number one Arkansas, in Bomb Stadium. And for those keeping up, that's two losses in a row for Arkansas. Georgia and Wofford was postponed. And then Tennessee has to kind of rally late. It was a 6-6 ball game there in the ninth. Tennessee comes back, kind of wins that thing 9-6. to Florida absolutely shelled in Tallahassee. Florida State wins that game 10-7. to Alabama and Troy's postponed. Uh, Ole Miss, you may recall, that um, they were set to play Tuesday and Wednesday against Louisiana Tech in Ruston. Well, then on Monday they released a statement that there were some COVID issues related to the program, so they weren't going to play the game on Wednesday, and some people didn't kind of understand, well, what, what does that mean? If you've got the COVID, why are you able to play on Tuesday and not Wednesday? So the story is is that there was some contact tracing associated with this. So some guys were going to be unavailable. Some guys that you normally count on in the midweek were going to be unavailable. 
So they would have had to use some of their weekend guys to play the two games, and it just felt like it was better not to play it. Now, you know, far be it for me to tell the Ole Miss media machine how to do their jobs, but uh, considering how many times we've kind of caught them with their pants down the last few years, let's go ahead and swing it. Why not just come out Tuesday morning and say, hey, due to expected inclement weather on Wednesday, we're going to cancel or postpone that game. And then nobody's none the wiser. It looks like they don't want to play. You know, These are the same people that criticized Mississippi State relentlessly, saying that we were trying to get out of play in the Egg Bowl. It was completely false. There was nobody in Starkville that felt that way, and certainly nobody in the decision-making process that suggested that we do that. And so they tried to shame us into that whole thing about not playing the Egg Bowl, and then we did. And even with limited scholarship numbers, we should have won the game, right? We didn't. They got the egg. They, they won the game. They made the plays to win. We didn't. But now you can't win a game because you're a little shorthanded due to COVID? Give me a break. You talk about karma. It's crazy to think that way. You, you accuse everybody else of trying to dodge games, and then you dodge a game. So it's pretty rich. I mean, it really is. Ole Miss gets absolutely smoked tonight, 13-1. to 13-1. to 1. Good on you, Lane Burroughs. Appreciate your effort. And uh, listen, Tech took a game from Arkansas over the weekend, too. That's back-to-back wins over top five opponents for Louisiana Tech. Uh, that's not a team that I want in my regional. I'm just going to go ahead and say that now. I, I, I don't want them. I really don't. I don't know if they've got the pitching to hold up long-term like through a regional, but they have won back-to-back games where they shut down Arkansas, shut them out on Sunday in a 2 nothing ball game. I believe that's correct. And then uh, they win 13-1 to against Ole Miss on Tuesday. And so kind of looking at these numbers here, they jumped on Ole Miss early and went up 3 nothing, and then kind of rode that for a while. And next thing you know, bottom of five, it is a 7 nothing ball game. Ole Miss goes back and plays a run in the sixth, and then Tech answers with four more. It's 11-1, to guys, after six. Bottom of seven, they put on two more. It is a 13-1 to ball game after seven complete. That game is over. Kind of look at the box score here, too, because that's one thing. Listen, Ole Miss pitching has been good. I mean, there's no there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Now, the, the – um, you know, the bullpen leaves a lot to be desired. But, uh, you know, their starting pitching has done a good job. And so let me look at this box score here because I think it's important as we kind of prepare uh, to get a look at Ole Miss down the road. Uh, I'll be honest with you, Ole Miss doesn't scare me the way they do a lot of other you folks. I mean, there's always some trepidation when we play them. But they don't scare me. There's a couple reasons why they don't scare me. They're free swingers. They strike out a lot. And we strike out a lot of people. And so we're going to get them chasing those fastballs up in the zone. They're going to miss. They're going to pop up. They are a launch angle team that tries to hit home runs. It's like a church league softball or a beer league softball team. That's how they want to handle things. And listen, some days it's going to work out. But against SEC pitching, it's not going to be the same. At some point, you've got to play baseball. At some point, you simply have to play baseball. Now, look on these Ole Miss pitching numbers here. It's absolutely ridiculous when you begin to kind of look at this thing. They, they threw a ton of people, too. I mean, a ton of people. Uh, so, they start, uh, what's his name, Josh Mallett. This box score that Ole Miss put up is awful. Awful. Josh Mallett, Logan Savelle, Austin Miller, Cody Adcock, Brandon Johnson, Mitch Morrell. So, they got a lot of work for a lot of guys, but I begin to ask myself, 
If you can throw six pitchers on Tuesday, why couldn't you throw three today and three tomorrow? I mean, obviously this ball game was over, right? This game was over in the eleventh. So you know, why are you why are you having to do this? Why are, if you, why are you having to split the game? Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But again, I want to play baseball. That's just me. I, I would rather go and compete. But again, it's just me. I'll have more on that a little bit later. All right, so finishing up here, kind of looking around the league, I, I got sidetracked talking about that Ole Miss score because it's so ridiculous. I mean, I mean, you, you talk about karma. Uh, Davidson, South Carolina is postponed. Southeastern Louisiana gets down early, kind of makes it a game late. LSU wins uh, 10-7. And look at this box score, too. I mean, LSU, again, the power numbers – they're a predominantly right-handed hitting team that kind of swings at that short porch out there and laugh. And there's a bit of a, you know, kind of a jet stream, basically, the way that stadium is constructed to kind of push the ball out to left. And so it's important to kind of understand that's kind of who they are. We talk about Ole Miss being a free-swinging swing, free swing team. So is LSU. They're very similar. And to be honest with you, I'm kind of eager to see Ole Miss and LSU play. I think that'll be interesting. But LSU jumps on them for nothing. And, um, you know, you start looking at the way this thing rolls out here. They get a wild pitch, a fly out. Kay Doty is absolutely killing it for LSU. But they get him to fly out. They get a single, and then there's a home run. They get the three RBIs. And it's 3 nothing before and before anybody's even got comfortable, LSU's already jumped on them for nothing. Excuse me. Southeastern battles back and puts up three in the third. It's a 4-3 ball game. I mean, LSU gets one back and then put the game away really in the fifth. And then they kind of coast to a 10-7 win. We're going to talk a whole lot more about LSU on Friday. But let me assure you, Mississippi State's going to be ready to go. Now, we can't go out there and get loose and fast with our location. We're going to have to spot up that changeup. We're going to spot up those breaking balls, kind of make them hit our pitch. But I like the matchup. And, again, we'll get into that a whole lot more here in the uh, you know, in the weeks ahead. I'm just – I mean, in the days ahead. I, I'm just – I'm so eager to get there just because of the fact that I think we have a really good chance to win that series. And if we go down there and pitch it like we're capable, with the way that they are, they can get themselves out. They can get themselves out rather easily. Final game on – two final two games on, on the uh, – Tuesday schedule, Texas A&M takes down Houston 9-4 in Houston. And Vanderbilt, after a bit of a tussle with Belmont, holds on to win 4-1. You know, and Vanderbilt put up a ton of runs this past weekend, I guess against Oklahoma State. You know, really embarrassed them on Saturday, and Oklahoma State comes back to win the game on Sunday. But, again, it's a wild little stretch here in the league, and I think these things matter. When, you, when you're competing at the level we're competing, and you've got – you know, a really good old Miss team and a really good Arkansas team in your division and you know what LSU can do and you're only going to get better as the year goes on, you got to win these games because when it gets down to it, when the resumes are similar, let's say we all end up with a similar record in conference, you know, what the tiebreaker could be the non-conference record. And, you know, and us and Ole Miss and Arkansas have all shown a willingness to get out there and go play some teams, you know, whether it be on a neutral side or whatever. And, listen, I give Ole Miss some credit for going to Louisiana Tech. I mean, we do. It's a brand-new stadium there. They're calling it the Love Shack. You know, they had that tornado that came through there and, and really messed things up. They had to play at Ruston High School for a while. You know, and God bless those people, man. I mean, really. And, but, you, you know, you, you get out there and you say, hey, let's go play the ball game, and then you lose. 
And, and listen, if you don't think that played a factor in the decision, I don't think that game was going to happen on Wednesday anyway. But Ole Miss kind of put some egg on their own faces because how they handled the PR game here. So, But, again, a very interesting night in the Southeastern Conference. You may be aware, too, that uh, there were some teams in the top 25 that dropped ball games too uh, tonight that were uh, – you know, teams that we're going to be in contention with. And so I, I root for us and then against everybody else. That, that's just, you know, th- th- that's my feelings about it. And I was glad to see Oklahoma State lose again. Uh, I think they're very overvalued. Louisville loses. You know, I think they're a team that is uh, very, very solid. But anytime that somebody that we're going to be contending with or competing against for a national seed – loses a non-conference game. That is an RPI-type drop right there. And so I'm here for that. I'm excited about that. I want them to lose those ball games. I want us to be the best team in the country, and I want us to have the easiest path to a championship in the history of the game. And so parity is good for us. And I think one of the things that is probably underappreciated by the casual fan is even these non-conference games, you know, whether it be SOCON schools or AAC schools or Sunbelt schools or whatever, you know, those teams have more pitching than they've ever had too, you know, because most of those guys don't get drafted. And so you have some guys that uh, did get drafted last year. They're back in school this year. And so it's not just Mississippi State that's got a lot of guys back, even though, you know, we're probably doing it better than anybody else. You know, everybody out there has got a couple of good arms. And I think it's important to kind of understand that we're only going to get better because of all this pitching. You know, we're facing a lot of guys that shouldn't be here. And so, as you know, we're going to just kind of run through it. But we're not just going to, you know, get worse as a team because we're seeing great pitching. You see great pitching now and it prepares you for the SEC – and I think that's one of those things that, um, you know, a lot of people look at this and say, hey, man, well, well, you know, we struggled against Tulane's ace. And we did. And in a full draft, he wouldn't be here. Hey, man, we struggled against Kent State's ace. And we did. In a full draft, he wouldn't be here. A lot of people have struggled against us, too. And most of those pitchers they've struggled against are uh, players that are going to be here. <laughs> right? Those are the things that kind of get you excited. Really get you excited when you begin to break this thing down and you begin to think about most of our team is going to be back. Yeah, we're going to lose some guys. There are going to be some guys that are contributors. But uh, the nucleus of our team is going to be back. And a lot of these pitchers that we're counting on now are only going to get better. And for those of you that are still wondering about this, Mississippi State still number one in the nation at 13.7 strikeouts per nine innings. It's a ridiculous number. I mean, it really, really is. It is an absolutely ridiculous number. And some of that's going to, you know, kind of diminish a little bit in SEC play because we're going to see better hitters. I don't know if that's the case this weekend. I think because of the fact that LSU strikes out as much as they do, I think we're going to have a chance to kind of get some punch outs in this ball game. I, I really do. I think I think we've got a chance to go down there and win this series. And I shared with you guys before, I know that LSU is going to get their act together. And they're not playing bad now, but they're going to get better. And so we need to go win that series and have them go run some interference for us and take a game or two from other people in the West that we're contending against and people in the East. So we need LSU to kind of become one of our contributors. All right, let's kind of move forward here. We're going to do a top ten list today. 
sponsored by our friend Dr. Robert Yarbrough. Doc Yarbrough, longtime friend of mine, big fan of his. This is a guy that does such a great job, you know, taking care of his patients. I mean, this is a guy, that, you know, he's an ear, nose, and throat specialist. That's what he does. And many of you need an ear, nose, and throat doctor, an ENT doctor to make it to make it cool, right? You got to make sure you get out and go get that sinus pain stuff taken care of. There are so many people out there that are struggling needlessly with this. Their children are struggling needlessly with this. And you got two places you can go, right here in the Golden Triangle. You can go there in Tupelo, there on Peacom Drive, or you can go on Stark Road here in Starkville. And there's no point putting it off. You're trying to treat this over the counter as if you're the doctor. Go see a real doctor. Don't just suffer through allergy season. You know, there may be a bigger issue involved here. Get the professionals involved. Give them a phone call today, 662-844-6513, 662-844-6513. Again, that's Dr. Robert Yarborough with the ENT Physicians of North Mississippi. All right, let's do top 10 list. And so some of you guys have reached out and say, you know what, Steve, I think that you have a great passion for music. But I can tell that your eyes kind of light up and there's a new inflection in your voice when you're talking about 80s rock, and you're right. You know, we all kind of have guilty pleasures. We do. But one of my favorite bands from the 80s might be a little softer than what many of you would anticipate. I mean, like these days, I listen to Slipknot and and Korn and Motionless and White and people like that, Avenged Sevenfold. But I've always had a little soft spot in my heart for the 80s band Firehouse. I have. I have every one of their albums. And I'm unashamed to say that. I've seen them in concert, I guess, half a dozen times. Many of you were with me when we saw Firehouse. We saw Trickster, Firehouse, and Warrant on the Cherry Pie Tour there in Jackson, Mississippi. We were all there together. It was a big show. You remember Warrant came through the year before as the head, as the opening act for Motley Crue's Dr. Feelgood tour. We were at that show. And then we turned around when Warrant came back with Cherry Pie, and they were the headliners. And we were at that show. And Firehouse was great. Firehouse has even played the State Fair. I remember going and watching them, and they're like under a tent there, and it's like everybody's having a good time. And I'm thinking, is this real? Firehouse is playing the State Fair under a tent? I had a great time. My friends wanted to leave. I wouldn't leave. So here are my top 10 Firehouse songs. I know Roy is probably going to be thinking, oh, my goodness, Steve, what are are you doing to the list? Well, it's one of my favorite bands. I'm going to talk about them. Here are the honorable mentions. From the Good Acoustics album, which is absolutely killer. You know, they didn't, Firehouse didn't get an unplugged segment on MTV. They just did an unplugged album on their own uh, because C.J. Snare can really sing. But it's a song called Love Don't Care. It's a great tune. And it was kind of ahead of its time, to be honest with you. It really was. Go check that one out. And then one of my favorites, kind of a uh, kind of a tongue-in-cheek, not, I guess not really tongue-in-cheek, but it's a song called Something About Your Body. You can kind of draw your own conclusions there. Uh, going back to the first album, there's a song called Rock on the Radio. And for those of you that missed the 80s, maybe you're too young to have appreciated that, we did these things where there were these huge like intros to songs. It wasn't like you just plugged in and play. There were like a lot of these 
you know, songs where there's keyboards and there's all this great percussion and that kind of stuff. Rock on the radio has one of those. A big introduction, and then they kick in rock on the radio. And then one of the, the power ballads that didn't make my list that many of you I know probably really dig, it's called Here For You. So here are the top ten. Now, I'm going to share with you this. Not all these were going to be were hit songs. Some of these are deeper tracks or some B-sides that I just really dig. And as your tour guide through 80s metal, you need to trust my judgment here. One of those is from the album Three, and it's our number 10 song, and it's two sides. There are two sides to every story. So don't make up your mind till you hear the story from me. Uh, I love that opening guitar riff. Matter of fact, I heard this song for the first time when I was driving to Opelousas, Louisiana, of all places. I had, had to go do a, a job interview type deal and uh, within, my, within my company about a, about a promotion and just kind of stumbled upon that one by accident. And I absolutely dig it. I still listen to that song regularly. Number nine, it ought to be a law. There ought to be a law against the things you do. There ought to be a law against a girl like you. We've all been there. You know it's the truth. Put it on, man, and think about that girl that broke your heart, man, and just, you know, just heal or hate either one. Makes a difference to me. Number eight, one of the best power ballads of the genre. Because Firehouse really kind of specialized in that because they could pull it off. But it's a song called I Live My Life For You. And at times in my life, that has probably been my favorite Firehouse song. I've actually done some videos to that song, you know, kind of giving that as gifts, um, you know, to my wife. So, all right, number seven, another great tune. I believe this was on Firehouse 3. It's called Just Trying to Make a Living. I love that song, and uh, there's so many great lyrics in that one. You know, it's just about blue-collar folks that, um, you know, not trying to get rich, just trying to keep the kids fed, you know, trying to keep the mortgage paid. All right, number six, and this is probably the one song that all of you know because it was probably, if you were a, uh, you know, a, a child of the 80s or a teenager of the 80s, you probably saw somebody get married to the song, but it's love of a lifetime. You know, finally found the love of a lifetime. A love to last my whole life through. I'm not going to sing to you unless you pay me. Number five, uh, this is one of my favorite tracks in the catalog. It's called Love is a Dangerous Thing, and it's actually a song about safe sex because, you know, we were dealing with the 80s crisis and there's all these things going on, and so it was like love is a dangerous thing, so, you know, to protect yourself because you could get out there and put yourself at risk and it could kill you. Number four, the, uh, the lead song on the second album, and I actually think the second album is better than the first. I know many of you may disagree. You would be wrong. But the, the, uh, the title track on album number two, it's Reach for the Sky. And I really think that Firehouse kind of found more of, their, more of their rock voice on that second album. Number three, kind of going in the opposite direction, the, probably the biggest hit off that album was a power ballad called When I Look Into Your Eyes. I think C.J. Snare's vocals are incredible. The harmonies on the chorus are next level. They really are. So now we're down to the top two. So number two, I, I could make a case that this is the best Firehouse song. And we played this at Duty Noble now, and I'm going to tell you the quick story before we move on here. So Rhett Hobart, who did a great job for Mississippi State, Rhett's now at Wake Forest. Rhett came in, and you know, he's like, one day we were just kind of talking, 
about you know music and he goes hey man if you ever hear anything or you think of anything that would be kind of cool to play at Duty Noble let me know well he absolutely came to the right place and so one day it just kind of hit me I said you know Red you know I think the best thing we could ever do is when a team has to change pitchers in an inning you know when they got to go get him and that guy's got to make that walk of shame you know and leave the mound that we should play the opening bars to Firehouse's All She Wrote. You know, the one that starts bye-bye, baby, bye-bye. And so we play that at Duty Noble now. And we did it again tonight. We they changed pitchers mid-inning. And you know, I don't think that the, the people in marketing now even realize that that was the, uh, the idea of one Steve Robertson. And God bless Red Hobart for putting that in. I remember the first time they did it, they're getting ready to play it, and I look. I just happened to be looking down there at marketing, and everybody in marketing is kind of looking in my direction. And then the song starts, and I just put my rock fingers in the air. And I'm so grateful for Rhett to doing it. And I, I mentioned it to him on Twitter the other day, and now they're doing it at Wake Forest. So we are introducing good tunes with good baseball, one ballpark at a time. Number two on my list, all she wrote on the firehouse list but number one it's got to be the one right i mean it's got to be the one that kind of got it all started right a self-titled album it's don't treat me bad even though there's part of that vocal that i think cj kind of oversings it a little bit uh i love that acoustic guitar that kind of opens up and you know we've all been there i mean i never thought you'd hurt me i guess you live and learn when you're playing with fire you're bound to get burned and it sounds kind of cliche but it was a great radio song and i love how you know, the, the drums kind of kick in, and uh, it's, it's just a good tune. It is a good, good rock song. So there you go, the Firehouse list, the top ten. If you have ideas for the top ten, reach out and let me know. Again, I'll tell you, we're going to get caught up. or some legendary acts we hadn't done yet, and I got people reaching out. I had somebody ask me to do a top ten Alan Parsons project. Guys, that's not going to happen. I mean, I, I think I know, what, two songs by them? I mean, so... Do they have more than two songs that were actually hits? I mean, you got the eye in the sky, and you've got that, uh, you know, the, the one that's the Chicago Bulls thing, you know. I, I, I can't help you. The Alan Parsons Project? I mean, you know, we're really digging deep. We're really scraping the bottom of the bowl when we're, we're pulling out Alan Parsons Project, all due respect. But if you have ideas, reach out let me know. I'm on all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. And if you're not following me on Twitter, what are you doing with your life? If you've been keeping up with me lately on Twitter, there's been blood in the Twitter streets for Ole Miss fans that have come for me. All right, Campus Bookmart, longtime sponsors of the show, man. I love Campus Bookmart. I need to get by there and see those guys. It's been a, it's been a, been a couple of weeks I've been by there. Stand man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie. They will treat you like family because in their minds you are family. Anything you need to outfit your home, your office, uh, for Mississippi State merchandise, you can find it all right there. And why would you not? I mean, it's like, and one of the things that I got, I'm going to get fired up about this too. Why would you ever buy Mississippi State merchandise on Amazon when you could buy it from a local retailer, from a Starkville business? And so if you're going to do online shopping and you're looking for Mississippi State merch, Go to campusbookmart.net. Don't go to Amazon. Don't go to eBay and get somebody's arts and craft project that went wrong. Get the real stuff at Campus Bookmart. Go to campusbookmart.net today and use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson, 
And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. All right, let's spend a little time and talk about women's basketball. So you guys learned, like I did, on Monday night when the ladies didn't make the NCAA tournament. And listen, we were already kind of prepared for that, as I shared with you guys on Monday morning show. Didn't think we were going to make it. Charlie Cream is kind of the expert, had us out. Now, Charlie was wrong about how far out of the tournament we were. We weren't the first team out, so we didn't even make the contingency for, you know, the COVID contingency group. We didn't make that either. And so just before the WNIT field was announced, I get a phone call and it says, hey, just a heads up here. We actually had told the selection committee a few days ago if we didn't make the tournament, we didn't want to go to the NIT. So that brings a lot of angst out from our fan base. Now, let's be honest with ourselves here. Let's all take a deep breath. We were going to be unhappy, period, about not making the tournament. Whether we played in the NIT, whether we didn't make the NIT field, no matter what we did, we were not going to be happy, no matter what the circumstances were, if we didn't make the tournament. We didn't make the tournament. So we're going to be angry. And so that frustration kind of spills over. And so Nikki McCray-Pinson decided that we weren't going to play in the WNIT. And somebody said, well, Steve, how does she have that kind of authority? Hey, guys, it's her program. And she knows her roster. And in case you haven't noticed, Zaria Wiggins has left the program. Her decision, our decision, all means the same thing. One less player. Jemiah Mingo Young has left the program. There are going to be one to two more that leave the program. And so what if we accept this WNIT bid and all of a sudden, you know, we have four regulars that are no longer on the team. And so what kind of product are we going to put on the floor? And so let's say we go over there and we play with the handicap roster and we lose two ball games. You know, is that good for the program? I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and absolve uh, Nikki McRae-Penson, but it was her decision. Ultimately, it is her decision. And there are a lot of people out there that have strong opinions who don't have much facts. And they say, oh, well, you know, John wouldn't let her play. Let me tell you this. If you think that the athletic department at Mississippi State or the president's office for one second is going to sit back and tell a coach hey, you earned the right to go play in this tournament, but we're not going to let you go. That would never happen. It just simply wouldn't happen. To be honest with you, I think we have kind of reached the merciful end of the women's basketball season. I, you know, if we go out there and lose two more ball games, especially with a handicap roster, I don't think that helps us. Now, I am the kind of person, too, because I am such a competitor, I would want to go play. I also don't know all the inner workings of what Nikki McCray-Pence is dealing with. Yeah, I hear rumors. At the end of the day, she's got to put a quality product on the floor. It's her job. It's not everything else. It's her job to manage the basketball program, win games, graduate players. That's it. That's the job. You got to go out and recruit, too. That's all part of winning, right? We have not won enough. But if she says, you know what, I think, listen – I think we need to kind of get back in the house here 
and regroup a little bit. And if that's her decision, that's her decision. She will have a Friday Friday presser. And you know that's the first question we're going to ask. What led to this decision? And she'll explain it. Nikki McCray Pinson's a very intelligent woman. I think a lot of people kind of said we're short. And listen, I, I get some of that because you, you're like, well, Steve, all I know is what I see on TV. All I know is what I see on the court. And, and it's fair. You don't have a personal relationship with her, and I don't either. But I do know this. I do know that, uh, you know, we're paying her a lot of money to go win basketball games. That hadn't happened. So she's going to have to turn it around. We, we didn't always play with a lot of effort. And that's coaching. You know, when I was a high school baseball coach, there were a few times that uh, we sat some guys down and played some young guys or some JV guys to kind of send a message to the rest of the team. You know, sometimes you got to put somebody on a bench to get their attention. And I don't mean letting them sit out the first quarter. We had a situation when I coached high school baseball. There was an unwritten rule that baseball players at our high school did not participate in senior skip day. We feel like you should be held to a higher standard. And so, I mean, for years and years and years and years and years, and the the years that preceded me, our baseball players did not participate in senior skip day. Well, one year, it was Ani's junior year, all the seniors decided they were going to go to senior skip day. They were going to skip school, skip practice, and then expect to come back the next day. Well, we suspended them for a week. We expect them to come to practice. They practiced with a JV, and we made them go to the games and made them watch their teammates play. And we taught a lesson. And it wasn't just those guys that we wanted to send a message to. We wanted to send a message to the rest of the team. Because you know what? The rules apply to everybody. And you're not going to just get a day off. You're not going to get a week off to go sit at home and play video games. You're still going to have to kind of practice. And when everybody else is doing, you know, we're getting our, you know, our pregame warm-up stuff together and we're getting our, our in and out together, those guys are going to run foul poles while we all do that. While we get our final drills together and we kind of work infield with the starting nine, those guys are going to run foul poles. And so, you know, listen, Nikki McCray-Pinson has done some of that. It's just like, you know, sitting Jemai Mingo Gung and, and Rakia Jackson on senior day. I get the message, but, you know, why is it on senior day? Why didn't we take care of that earlier in the year? in a non-conference game. If we're having those kind of problems, why not just nip in the butt early? But the fact that they linger later in the year, it's just not a good sign. It's not. So, you know, she'll get a year to turn this thing around. And, um, you know, listen, we, we have learned to have a great deal of pride in our women's basketball program. And so, the, you know, we have established that we can win here and that we can win at a very high level. We can compete at a national level. So we shouldn't have a problem getting to the coach. You know, and not every coach works out. You know, I'm not ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think in many respects that uh, Nikki McCray-Penson came in and it was a real learning process for her. And, again, I'm not going to defend it. But, uh, you know, she's got to be consistent in what she does and the message she delivers and got to ensure that we're getting a consistent effort from her team on the floor. Mississippi State fans will accept a lot. And we, we, I talked about this on the show here a couple months ago. You know, we'll accept losing as long as we are noble in the effort. Right? You know, we'll accept not going to the tournament as long as we're out there playing at the highest level, as long as we're playing the best we can. 
You know, the one thing Mississippi State folks aren't going to put up with is a lack of effort. We're just not going to do it. We are not going to accept that. That's not who we are. It's not in our DNA. We are a blue-collar ag school that is built on hard work. I mean, the foundation of this university was on, built on the backs of farming families around this state that wanted their children to have a better place to go further their education and become better farmers or learn to trade and that sort of stuff. You know, that's what we're founded on. That's our foundational standard, that we are working people and we want to be more efficient workers and we want to be better at what we do. We want to be better workers. And so when you go out there and you don't put forth an effort, we're going to reject that. We're going to vomit that up, man, like castor oil. We're allergic to that stuff. We are allergic to laziness. We are allergic to people out there that just don't give a crap. We're not going to put up with that. And nor should we. And Dr. Keenum and John Cohen aren't going to put up with it either. And so that's Nikki McRae-Penson's charge at this point. Is, you know what, she may have inherited some players that don't fit her scheme. She may have inherited some players that have an attitude problem. And we know that's the case. But that doesn't let her off the hook. You know, this group won 27 games last year. You don't have a lot of seniors, but you're going to have some spots open up, and so you better go get players, whether it be from the transfer portal or junior college ranks or whatever, to come in here and turn this thing around next year. It's an important part of it, to say the least. But like all of you guys, I mean, I'm, I just I look at all this stuff and I just think to myself, you know, how, how did we get here? I mean, really, how did we get here? And there are so many people out there that say, well, you know, we didn't do this, we didn't do that. Here's the deal. You know, Nikki McCray-Pinson was an All-American player at Tennessee. Nikki McCray-Pinson was an Olympic gold medalist twice. Nikki McCray-Pinson played for Pat Summit, one of the greatest coaches in the history of women's college basketball. So she understands winning. She understands culture. She understands accountability. She was the first-round draft pick in the WNBA. One of the first players taken, if not the first player taken. So she has a pedigree of winning. But, you know, the best players don't always make the best coaches. She was an understudy at South Carolina under Don Staley when they won a national championship. So she has been around winning forever. And so when you go hire somebody like that and you say, okay, well, listen, here's let's go do the job and you, you've done this, you've done that. Let's go get it done. Doesn't always work the way we expected to. But on paper, you look at this thing and say, you know what, this should work. It should. She's a very intelligent woman. She communicates exceptionally well. She's played basketball at the highest level. She has uh, learned from some of the greatest coaches in the game, past and present. And so, you know, I see these people say, oh, it was a bad hire from the first place. Well, I mean, just, just because you didn't know the name doesn't mean she was a good hire. Now, in hindsight, you have the gift of hindsight and say, you know what, this year was a disaster. That doesn't necessarily mean we shouldn't have made the hire. But she's got a year to turn it around. And then we'll see what happens this time next year. But again, be prepared. There's going to be some more players leave. Be prepared. Been teasing it for a long time, but there's going to be more players leave. Let's talk a little bit about Portico. Many of you have thought many times about moving to Starkville. Full-time. Some people, it is their dream, right? It is their dream to move to Starkville and be here and be able to go to the ball games and, you know, be able to be a part of all this. 
you know, I'm excited to be here. This is where I've always wanted to be. You can make Starkville your home. And you need to give the people at Portico a chance to help you. Great folks, great product, great location. Right there on Garrett Road behind the Chrysler Jeep dealership. If you come off of 82 on a 12, it's the first right. Right there at Pat Station Road takes you right to Garrett Road. Brand new construction. 18 houses in the first phase. And if I'm not mistaken, there are five left. And so if you're looking to make a move now, it's time to make the call. You know what? If you say, you know what, Steve, it's going to be summer for us. That's cool, too, because the second phase is about to begin. You can get more information by calling our friend, my friend, your friend, everybody's friend, Brooks Bryan, former Diamond Dog outfielder that sent us to Omaha. A guy that was on two great teams for sure. He might even tell you some stories. You might not even have to ask. But you do have to ask about Portico. That phone number is 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Portico's got... Plenty of houses, plenty of room from 2,000 to 4,000 square feet, two-bedroom to four-bedroom for a growing family, for a big family, for a small family. They can fit all your needs there. Got that walking trail, got a pavilion area. It's the newest, nicest construction. And listen, this might be the last move you make in your life. So go celebrate your new home at Portico. Again, call Brooks Bryan for more details. All right, let's talk a little bit about Jay Hobson. You guys, uh, we broke the story earlier today. Maxie has been sitting on this thing for weeks, kind of waiting for it to become official. Jay Hobson, former Alcorn State and Southern Miss head coach, now a member of the Mississippi State staff, uh, a defensive analyst. So he is not taking Brad Peterson's position. That was kind of rumored before that he was going to take Brad's spot. He is coming aboard as a defensive analyst. Now, if you know much about Jay, That's right in his wheelhouse. He is a defensive-minded coach. His teams have always played hard-nosed defense. Uh, Everywhere he's been, that's kind of been his pedigree. We're going to go out there and play defense, or we're going to go hit you. And so he's going to work on the defensive analyst side. And some people would say, you know what, this gives us a D.C. in the pocket. And maybe it does. Let's say Zach Arnett gets a job next year. Well, then all of a sudden you got Jay Hobson right here, a guy that's that's already been a Power 5 D.C., and you just promote from within. It makes sense to me. Even if that situation doesn't unfold, Jay Hobson's the guy that obviously uh, knows college football. Jay Hobson's the guy, too, that knows defense. And so now he is aboard, and some people say, well, Steve, what about these positions? Mike Villagrana left for Marshall to go join Charles Huff, and now Brad Peterson has gone into, uh, into private business. And so you got a couple spots available. I don't know if we filled them both. I think we probably fill one, and then maybe we reallocate some of those funds. Uh, to some people that probably need a pay raise. I, I, I think that's a possibility. I don't know that's what's going to happen. I don't know how probable it is, but I know it's very much a possibility. Uh, so we'll kind of move forward with that. But again, the Jay Hobson news, not totally unexpected, but it is now officially official. Shortly after we had our, uh, our story up on Gene's page, the university confirmed our report with an official release. Uh, confirming the hiring of, of Jay Hobson as a defensive analyst. And I'm told that he and Mike Leach have known each other for a really long time. So it's always neat, you know, because the coaching fraternity is really a pretty small group. And so they put it all together, and uh, now Jay is here. So for how long? I don't know. In what capacity long term? Don't know. I just know that he's an analyst now and on the job there in the SEAL complex. Let's talk a little defensive line recruiting. 
know, we've talked about this before. You know, there's some big-time defensive linemen in the state of Mississippi. There's Jaheim Otis down there at Columbia High School who is uh, from my high school. And it is my high school. So Columbia High School has uh, produced some good players. You've got Kentrell Bullock. It's at Ole Miss now. Jamal Peters. Is that his name? Not, not Jamal Peters. Jamal Pittman, excuse me. The, both of those guys were running backs who went to Ole Miss, had varying degrees of success. But uh, Jaheim Otis, a little bit different deal, right? Got a lot more options to choose from. Uh, Jaheim Otis, also a guy, too, that a lot of people early on thought he would absolutely go to LSU. I'm told this is going to be a late decision. I was told early on that an early decision favored LSU, and Alabama's kind of been in the mix as well, State and Ole Miss both. And I know some people would say, oh, he's going to go to Ole Miss. I'm told from people back home that chances that happen are pretty slim. Now, that's not to say that Ole Miss isn't going to make a big push, the whole thing, hey, we can get you eligible. You know, we have a plan. There's always the plan, right? Well, Mississippi State can formulate a plan, too, just as well as Ole Miss can. You know, they tried some of that last year with John Lewis. didn't work out. John Lewis ultimately found out, you know what, I can go to school wherever I want to go to school. As long as I make my grades, I don't need somebody to help me with that. As long as I do the work, I can go where I want to go. Well, he wanted to go to Mississippi State. That's what exactly what he did. But Jaheim Otis is a guy that, uh, listen, this is a guy that's got NFL potential. If he works hard – He's got a chance to be an absolute superstar in the SEC. And you look at what Mississippi State's done with defensive line prospects. I mean, you know, that's a fraternity there, kind of a group within the group. Then there's Xavier Harris from Germantown. I continue to hear that uh, he's favoring Mississippi State. Alabama and others are kind of involved with him. But I understand, too, that Mississippi State's made him feel like a priority. Malachi Madison, a guy out of uh, Cedar Grove High School there in Georgia, a ton of G5 offers, and he also has like West Virginia against uh, Maryland and a few others. I think he's got five or six Power 5 offers in addition to Mississippi State. It's going to be kind of a tough pull, but he is a guy from a military family. His dad's a military man. So there is, you know, there, there's a certain level of accountability and respect that kind of goes along, you know, because it's been instilled in those players. Malachi was a guy originally, I guess he was in the state of Virginia, and they elected to cancel – uh, their high school football season last year. So he went to live with his mom so he could play as a junior. Felt it was best for his recruitment. His parents got together and said, hey, listen, we, we may not be together, but let's do what's best for our son here. And so they got him down to Georgia where he could play last year, and he had a big year. Mississippi State's one of the more serious considerations. He tells me Mississippi State's in touch with him as much or more than anybody. Those kind of things excite me. You know, State, of course, had signed four defensive linemen last year. You know, it was a thing all year long. People were like, you know what, defensive line recruiting, you know, leaves a lot to be desired. But when you look at how it all ended up, ended up okay. Now, we got to get a bigger start this year because there are better prospects in State. Uh, you know, overall, last year we just had the one in-State Power 5 defensive lineman. That was Ty Cooper, Mississippi State, got him. And so you kind of worked through the rest of it. And you say, you know what, this year you got Harris, you got Otis, and you got others. Uh, we got to find a way to get those guys. You know, got got you know, kid down there in Kapaya County. You know, we got to make some things happen, and we don't have to go far. That's a huge benefit for us, and that's where guy having guys like Tony Hughes on staff are extremely important because Tony knows everybody, and everybody knows Tony. But I think this group is going to be a good one. I really do. I think we're going to begin to kind of stack some D line classes together, and Jeff Phelps has done a good job this year. 
That's one of the things last year a lot of people said, you know, I don't hear Jeff Phelps' name mentioned a lot. And then we end up getting, you know, Deontay Anderson, and he mentions Jeff a lot. We get Trevon Marshall, and he mentions Matt Brock and Jeff Phelps a lot. Ty Cooper signs, and he mentions Jeff Phelps a lot. That's not to say that, you know, I didn't think Jeff set the wood on fire earlier in the year last year, but uh, he closed out pretty well. Well, now you've got some in-state targets this year that uh, you got to target and do a good job with. And so Jeff's got to be on the front lines of that, and, and so far he has been. And so I think it's important to kind of note that too. You know, we get so caught up sometimes this narrative gets established and we develop these opinions of people without giving them the opportunity to improve. And, and Jeff Phelps, a great coach, all the guys you talk to on the, on the team will tell you how much they like Jeff Phelps as a coach. Also appears to be a pretty good cook. He's always tweeting out pictures of his food. It's a little weird, but to each their own. Some of you guys do it too. I don't ever tweet out my food. I may have done it once, him twice. I don't know. But uh, I don't really do that sort of thing. But, you know, Jeff Phelps has got to be a big part of things for us with this in-state class on the defensive line recruiting. And I think it helps that we have a handful of guys in-state that are Power 5 recruits. So we'll kind of see how that breaks loose. If you hadn't done so, let me encourage you to go to alphadogsthebook.com and you can get personalized copies of Alpha Dogs, Flim Flam, and Stark Villains. At least once a week, I get a message from somebody asking about that. Where can I get the book? Steve, I've heard you talk about them. I never remember the website. It's alphadogsthebook.com. Going to have another book next year. I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. I'm going to work on all that uh, this summer and fall. And, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll push into the spring. going to be a pretty expansive thing. It's going to be a busy year for me this year. Uh, about to finish up this poetry book. I hope to have that done here in the next couple of weeks. But uh, baseball... When we get into baseball mode, it's easy for me to, when I wake up those days that I know we're going to Duty Noble, I don't want to do anything else. Like, I'm just kind of counting down the hours until we get a chance to leave and go to Duty Noble because I love that, that place. I love that stadium. Uh, I just love being in that environment. And, uh, and it's not just because I love baseball. But it's the one place that I feel like that I can go that, that's my dad. My dad is there. That's kind of how I feel about that. You know, my dad, when I was a kid, you know, Mississippi State sports is the biggest thing in the, in the world to him outside of his family. And uh, when I go to Duty Noble Field, there's a part of me I always feel like he's there too. And so there's always that connection. I know many of you probably feel the same way. I mean, your dad, your first experience with major college baseball was your dad bringing you to a Mississippi State game. You stopped by some sporting goods store on the way and you got your Nemo Vares caps. So you could fit in with the rest of the crowd. And you went in there and got some popcorn and Cracker Jack and ate some nachos and felt good about life. And, you know, most of my early memories of my childhood are, you know, my, me and my dad watching or listening to Mississippi State sports. And so th- those are the times that I miss him. But when I miss him the most, you know, I feel like I can go to Duty Noble Field and there's a bit of a connection, you know, and I, and I, and I say from time to time, I, I still kind of talk to my dad. Some people would say I'm crazy, and that's fine, too. I can live with that. But, uh, you know, I just say, you know, that help us out a little bit here. Put in a good word for us. You know, the Bulldogs need some good things to happen. And so uh, I love baseball for that, but, uh, you know, I'm very grateful for the fact that um, I'm from a baseball family. You know, that my, that my family has always loved baseball, and, I was able to birth and coach a uh, college baseball player some of the greatest days of my life watching my kids play ball. And uh, <clears throat> my Aunt Teresa, those of you that live uh, in and around Jones County know my family well. But uh, my Aunt Teresa, you know, her, she had three boys that played ball. All of them played in college. 
And one day she told me, she goes, you know, she goes, Steve, when we were young, she said, we spent everything we ever had going to watch our boys play ball. And she goes, you know what? I would not want any of that money back. She said, I wouldn't trade those memories for anything in the world. And I, I think there is just something about baseball that lends itself to family. It's not quite as, uh, you know, it's not quite as uh, aggravating or, you know, or, or emotionally filled as football. You know, people are ready to fight over football. I, I think sometimes we kind of laugh at each other when it comes to baseball. But I think, too, that I think most Mississippi State fans kind of respect the fact that Ole Miss has a good baseball program, you know. And, and I don't think they cheat in baseball. <laughs> so maybe they do. Maybe Mike Bianco's got me fooled. But I, I, I think Mike Bianco's done a great job at Ole Miss. And, and I can look at them and say, you know what, you know, I mean, I have to like you guys, but I respect this. I respect the fact that you've been able to be a good program for a long time. And that, you know, that's, I think it's a cool thing that Mike never left. He got every opportunity to go to LSU, and he's, he's stuck in there and built something of his own. Uh, I think it's interesting. He's only been to Omaha one time in 20 years. But, um, you know, I think the fact that we respect them and we respect the game. And, you know, for years and years and years, it was just us in Mississippi, and we didn't want to share the spotlight for a while. But once we kind of got over that and the fact that maybe we've won 14 the last 16, it's a lot easier for us to say, hey, you guys are good, you know, but we're better. But there's just something about baseball that it's really more of a gentleman's game. And I don't say that to be disrespectful to any other sport. I just think there's just a certain level of respect for people that love baseball that when you, you can appreciate good baseball even if it's not your team playing it. Now, of course, you're mostly invested in your team's you know, result. But at the same time, too, I, you know, most of us can watch college baseball really no matter who's playing because we just simply love the game. I can't count the times I'll sit in the press box and one of our opponents will make a great play and I'll turn to Greg Campbell and say, did you see that? That kid can really play. What a play. What a great job. What a great stop. Because we love baseball. And, of course, we want every, every ball off a bulldog bat to find green grass somewhere. It's just not realistic to expect that. You know what I'm saying? But, but we get excited about what we have as a program. And, you know, I don't need people to lower the hurdles for us in baseball. You know, I might, might feel differently in some other sports. When it comes to baseball, I think Mississippi State's one of the best programs in the country, and I think I think the, the the records show that. But it's time for us to go win a national championship. And I firmly believe once we get the first one that the second one's going to be pretty close behind. I think once you break the door down, I think we're going to get hot. I really do. That's my belief anyway. Well, that's going to do it for today, man. Thank you guys so much for your support of the Boneyard. If you're looking for Stark Villains gear, you can find it at StarkVillains.com. I had a Stark Villain shirt right behind home plate this past Sunday. And uh, got I put a picture up of it and uh, shared the link to get it. And all of a sudden, we've got a run on Stark Villain shirts again. So you can find that at StarkVillains.com. I uh, look forward to you guys uh, wearing those shirts out and around at Mississippi State Sporting Events. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.